0: The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 945 or 1130 a.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org.
1: In our series, we've been talking about Grandpa's Campfire Stories. We're looking at the life of Abraham. And there's something, we've talked about how there's something about the stories of our grandparents. Maybe you've thought back on some of the stories your grandparents have shared with you, some of the interesting moments from their life, the most powerful moments of their life, sometimes funny moments from their lives. And there's something about a grandparent's story that it's it, multiple dimensions. There's a richness about it. A, it it's comes from seasoned, their seasoned life full of experience and wisdom. It also is something they've told. It's almost a polished story. They've told it. For years, maybe decades it 's a really polished story, but also it 's intriguing because it 's part of our heritage if it 's a grandparent that 's telling the story it 's part of your family, part of your heritage and This has really gotten me thinking, what are some of the stories one day if i 'm blessed to be a grandparent? What would be the stories that I would pass on to my grandkids stories from from my life from rebecca 's life what what stories would we pass on to our grandkids because there 's different kinds. Of stories that we would share. On one hand, there's the, the funny stories. There's the stories that, that, are in, that are interesting, funny, that make up part of your life. And so probably a story that I would share is I would want my grandkids to know that their grandmother, my wife, that she's, she's a pretty tough woman, okay? You don't mess with grandma, okay? She's a tough woman. And I would share this story. There was one time that um, Rebecca and I, we we're going to the movies and we're going to the Cinemark over there on, on I-75. And as we're walking in, we're on a date. This is a romantic evening. And as we're walking in, there's the, that blood drive vehicle. You know, that Mo- blood mobile there. That's that trailer. And they give you an opportunity to give blood. And as we're walking in, there's a sign that said, for every person that gives blood, you get two free movie tickets. So I see that sign and immediately look away. My wife sees that sign, and now I'm a thrifty person, my wife is very thrifty, and she sees this sign and she says, we should do that, we'd get two free movie tickets. Now let me interpret this sentence for you. When she says, we should do that, what she really means as she's looking up at me with her brown eyes, batting her eyelashes at me, you should do that, okay, What she means is, if you've ever wanted to be my knight in shining armor, if you ever wanted to prove to me that if anything ever happened to me or our family, you would swoop in and save the day just in display of masculinity, if you ever wanted to display that just rugged heroism, this is how you could demonstrate by winning us two free tickets into this movie theater by going into the blood mobile and giving blood. And so she says, we should do that. And I look down into her big brown eyes and say, you want me to give blood for you, baby? (laughs) And she says, yes. And I said, absolutely not. There's no way that I'm going to do that. Okay, like if we're like on the side of the road, we have a flat tire, and you want me to get out and call AAA, I will absolutely do that. (laughs) But if you think, I don't give blood, I just, I can't do that, all right? And so she looks at me, and she says, then I will give blood for us. Okay, so we walk into the blood mobile. Now, I'm not exactly sure if this is literally what it was like, but what I remember is it was like there were bikers in there, okay? There were like bodybuilders giving blood, and then there was Rebecca sitting down there with her arm out. And I'm sitting off to the side, with the ladies-in-waiting, okay? (laughs) All of, like, the girlfriends and the wives and me, and I'm sitting there. Now, you can imagine how emasculating that was for me in that moment. Totally emasculating. But that's not the worst of it. While I'm sitting there watching Rebecca, I pass out unconscious. (laughs) The nurses and doctors tending Rebecca now leave her to tend to me, but I did get a little sippy cup as I left, so that made me feel a little bit better. Rebecca won us free tickets to the movie theater that night, and that might, you could clap for her. I mean, it was incredible heroism. Um, that would be a story that I may or may not tell our grandkids about their grandma. She's a tough lady, you would just watch out for her. See, there's stories that we might tell, these important stories from our past, the fun stories, but there's another kind of story that we might share from our past, from our lives, the stories that make up from our lives. And they're not necessarily always the stories that bring a smile. Might not always be the stories that bring a laugh. There are great stories, rich stories from our lives, but some of them are the stories that are worth sharing, but they bring a tear. They're the stories that we may share. Maybe it's not just on the fly at, at, dinner, at the dinner table, but we might share with our grandkids, or maybe your grandparents have shared with you, but it's at a strategic moment. It's an important story. It's a, it's a story of how God shaped their life, a story of God's goodness, a story of God's faithfulness, a story of how God provided. Well, this is that type of story we're going to talk about this morning. Kind of the imagery is we're sitting around the campfire and we're hearing from Grandpa Abraham, we're hearing him tell, this, tell the episodes from his life, and we get to this, really it's the last major episode of his life. And it's like if his life is this beautiful symphony, this last story is like this crescendo where all the pieces and the movements throughout that whole composition kind of come together in one great crescendo. It's like if his, if his life was like an adventure movie, this is like that final sequence, the last 15 minutes of the movie, where things all like kind of come together and it's the most action-packed and it's just the, the grand finale. This, this part kind of brings everything together. This is the crescendo of his story. And I believe this story will prove to you that God is the greatest storyteller that could ever be. And I think we'll even see that God is actually the one behind that's inspired all great storytellers. Because here's the thing about God. God's medium, it's not in in writing novels. It's not a written word. His medium is not just in movie. It's it's not in cinema. His medium is history. He's the creative behind nonfiction. This story right here is the, the... End of an incredible journey that Abraham has been on, and it's a beautiful episode that he has passed down and that we have. Let's take a look at this together. It's in Genesis chapter 22. We're going to look at verse 1 together. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you have uh, a Bible app, you can open to that, or it's also going to be up here on the screens as well. Genesis 22, verse 1. It says this, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Now let's just put the pause button on because there's enough just in that first verse to just unpack a little bit. I want you to see the first words in this section he starts off with, and after these things, I almost seems like that phrase is more than just, and here's what happened next. It's almost like that phrase is saying, and it all comes down to this. It's almost like that phrase is saying, okay, you with me so far. It's like the narrator is stopping and saying, okay, you followed me with his entire life. You've seen all of these episodes. You know his journey, so just you're with me because you've got to be with me to go into this next part. It's like, okay, that all comes down, it all amounts to this. After all of that, this was the point. It's almost putting that much emphasis on this next episode. So let's rewind a little bit just to make sure that we're there. So make sure we, we can look back and say, okay, we're, we're with you. Okay, let's, let's just previously in the life of Abraham, this is what's happened. If you remember the very beginning of his life, he's settled. He's in probably a middle-aged man. He's got a, a wife. He's got a household. He's got a business. He's settled in this land called Ur. And God speaks to him one day and says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick up and leave. I want you to leave your country. Leave the people that you know. Leave all that's familiar. Leave all that's comfortable. Leave all that's sustaining you. I want you to pick up with your household and leave. He's like, I'm going to, there's a land that I'm going to tell you that you need to go to. And he says, here's why. You are going to have so many descendants. They're going to become a mighty nation. Not just, they're not just going to become a nation, not just a mighty nation. They're going to become an influential force in history. He says, in fact, through your descendants, every family on the planet will be blessed. I mean, amazing statement. He says, so the land that I'm sending you to, that's where they're going to settle. So, so you need to pick up and leave. Now here's what's so amazing about that decision that they did to have faith and follow in that moment. They, God had promised them a multitude of descendants. They didn't have any kids at this point. They're deep into their life. They've been married for probably decades at this point, and they had not been able to have any kids. And here God is saying, you're going to have so many multitudes, so many descendants, it's like a multitude. But they set out in faith. So along the journey, year after year after year, decade after decade, they probably thought, okay, when we leave, that's when God's been waiting. That's when we'll start having children. But that's not what happens. Year after year, decade after decade, sometimes their faith is high, and then we see sometimes their faith is low, and they kind of walk away from God, and then they come back, and then God re-emphasizes the promise. One time he says, Abraham, go outside and just look at the stars. He looks up at the stars. He says, could you count the stars, Abraham? No, of course not. That's how numerous your descendants are going to be, innumerable. You can't count them. So they dig in, and God makes a promise to them again, and they dig in, they try and believe, but their faith is up and down. It's year after year, decade after decade, they've had no children. And this promise is hanging over their, their heads. And what makes it worse is his name is Abram, which means exalted father. This irony of his, of his life. Then God comes back and he promises again, you're going to have kids. In fact, I'm going to change your name to Abraham, from Abram to Abraham, which means not just exalted father, it means father of a multitude. Now it's even more intense, this promise that God's had over him. And finally, one day, a man appears to Abraham, and Abraham immediately knows this is not just a man, this is God in the flesh. God appearing in the form of a man. And Abraham's sitting outside his tent, and the man says, Okay, it's time. This time next year, your wife will be holding a son. And inside the tent, Sarah laughs. Why? Well, it's been quite a long time since that promise was made. She's now 89 years old, and Abraham is 99 years old, and she laughs. And this man, who's God, God calls her out and says, Why are you laughing? What I've said I will do. And sure enough, by the end of that year, Sarah is holding this baby boy, and Abraham comes in and says, You know what we need to name it? Laughter. Laughter. And they named this child Isaac, which means laughter. And Sarah looks up, probably with tears down her face, and she says, People will laugh with me for joy that, I've, that I'm holding this child. This is an unbelievable journey that they've been on, this long journey of faith. And now it says, After all these things, it says, God tested Abraham. Well, really? Because I kind of thought all of those things were a test of Abraham. It had been a, a test of faith that they left. And then a test of faith in his promises and a test, test, test. There's just this whole life of tests. And it's almost like the narrator is saying, no, no, no. That was all preparing for this moment. Well, that wasn't a test. This is a test. It says that, that God calls out to Abraham and says that he's going to test him. So let's see what happens. This is verse 2. In Genesis 22, this is God speaking. And God said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Okay, we we had to have read that wrong, right? That can't be right. It had to have said, go to Moriah and offer burnt offering with Isaac. Okay, let me just read that again. He says, okay, he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. There is so much wrong with that verse. I mean, there is, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, just think of the humanity of what he's asking him. He's asking him to offer his son as a burnt offering. How could he offer something like that? I mean, just think of what Abraham's reaction would have been. This past week, our daughter Scarlett, she's two years old, um, she got an ear infection and um, she had an ear infection here. I used to have ear infections when I was a kid all the time. And so I was just kind of hurting for her because she had this ear infection. And, and we had to give her this medicine that was just terrible. And, and uh, someone once, said, a writer once said about parenting, said the decision to become a parent is the decision to let your heart walk around outside of your body. And I remember just looking at Scarlett, and then along, during the week, then she got a mosquito bite, and she's got very fair skin, so her, her skin kind of swells up, and she got it right by her eye, and so her entire eyelids swole up, so her, her eyes, like, swollen shut, and she's got this ear infection. I have to give her this antibiotics, and um, when I heard that they, they came back with this medicine, and I had had ear infections when I was a kid, I said, surely it's not the same medicine that I had to have when I was a child, like clearly over the last several decades they've had to come up with some kind of new technology and i go down and i look at the medicine it's the exact same torturous medicine i took when i was a child i remember having like standoffs with my mother all back in that day or for hours not i'm not taking that medicine it was just it's terrible and now i'm administering this to my daughter who's looking up at me one eye is like mostly closed <laughs> Okay? And it's the saddest thing is, I'd come down, I'd, I'd like get home from work, and I'd see her, and I'd see her eyes swollen, and I'd be like, oh, honey, are you okay? And She's just old enough to be able to pick up on people's reactions. So when I look like this, she kind of goes like this, like I know I, I look strange, you know? And then, oh, my heart is just breaking, and I've got to give her this medicine. I'm like holding her down, giving her this medicine. And it's just, I mean, when I see Scarlett, when I see her trip and fall, Okay, like it, something hurts inside of me physically, okay? God is asking Abraham to sacrifice his son. And I want you to see how it's worded because it's very strategic. God says, he doesn't just say, hey, by the way, uh, get up tomorrow morning, go to Moriah and sacrifice Isaac. He says, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. God knows the full force of everything he's asking him to do. He says, I want you to take your son and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Here's what you're going to see in this passage. Every time it mentions Isaac, it doesn't just say, and then Abraham went with Isaac. It says he went with Isaac, his son you will see over and over it says Isaac, his son, Isaac, his only son, Isaac, the son that he loved. It's over and over. This passage will not let us forget the emotional gravity of what's happening. It's calling us to enter in to the emotions of this passage. This passage is just pregnant with intensity. It is brimming over with emotion. It's, it's he's saying, take your only son whom you love and offer him as a burnt offering. What they would do with like a goat for a burnt offering is they would cut its throat till it was dead. They would place it on an altar and then they would light it on fire and the smoke would go up to heaven and offering that as a sacrifice to God. And God says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and offer him as a burnt offering. Now before we go further, you've got to see this other very important thing in this text. It says, and I want you to go to the land of Moriah. And it says very specifically, to a mountain that I will show you, I will show you the place. The fact that God is directing him to a very specific place is repeated two more times in this very short passage. That is very important to God in this text, that we know that it was a very specific location that he sent Abraham to. All right, so this is, this is the calling. God says, Abraham, he says, here I am. He says, go sacrifice your son before me to the spot that I'm going to show you. And what is Abraham's reaction going to be? Let's look at this, verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, And his son, Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both of them together. You picture this scene? Remember Abraham, I mean he 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 knows how to debate God. He barters, remember? Remember this moment that God reveals to Abraham what he's going to do. He's going to allow this one very wicked city to be destroyed named Sodom and God, and, and God's talking with him and, and Abraham knows his nephew's in that city. So remember, Abraham barters He says, no, God, but what if there's 50 righteous? What if there's 40? What if there's 30? What if there's five? He's bartering with God. But what happens this time? He says, I want you by your own hand. I want you to sacrifice your son. And what does Abraham do? Is there any discussion back? Is he talking back at all to God? He quietly gets up the next morning. Man, there's something happening here. He gets up the next morning. He saddles his donkey gets on his donkey, he cuts down the wood for the sacrifice, he places it in the donkey. You can tell he's not just getting up to ride away. He's, like, I'm not, I'm, he's not saying, I'm out of here. No, he's planning to do this. He puts the wood on the donkey. He takes two men, he takes two companions and his son, and he starts off day one. Then day two, he's on his way to Moriah. Can you imagine how he felt when he woke up? D- did he sleep that first night? What did he feel day two when he woke up? Was he out praying and sobbing before God all night that first night? God, what are you doing? Am I I crazy? What are you thinking here? What about God? How could you ask me to do this? This isn't isn't of God. I've got to be wrong. Or what do you sort of think? God, what about this whole promise? There's this whole promise of descendants. Now you want to offer my son? Uh, what, What could he possibly be thinking? See, interestingly, if we went to the New Testament, in in this book of Hebrews, it actually gives us a hint as to what he was thinking. It says, he did this on faith, and here's what was in his mind. He figured, because of the promise, he figured that God would raise his son back from the dead. But he packs the wood, and he takes his companions, and they go riding in on this donkey into this land of Moriah. Day one, day two, he's riding with his son. Dad, tell me what we're doing again. We're going to worship. He's writing. Can you imagine his son thinking, okay, we're going on this outing with dad, maybe trying to strike up conversation. Abraham can't even look at him. He's being strangely quiet. He can't have a normal conversation with his son. He gets there day two, he goes to bed. Day three, he wakes up, and on the third day, he looks up, and he, he sees the place from afar. It's obviously a mountain. He sees, maybe he sees the top of the mountain, and he looks out. He says, that's the place. And he says to his companions, I've got to leave you behind. I, I, what I've got to do, I've got to do by myself. He leaves them behind and he, he heads up and he, he takes the, the wood. Did you notice this? It says he, he takes the wood for the offering and, and he lets Isaac be the one, his little boy. It says that he's a boy, this is a child. This is probably elementary school age. He takes his beautiful little boy that he waited all his life, his little boy named Laughter, and he takes all this wood and he places it on Isaac, and Isaac is now carrying this wood up the mountain. And what did he feel when he started placing these logs in his arms? And he did the thought cross his mind that son, thinking his son's blood will stain those pieces of wood. He places it. On his on his arms, and then the two of them alone, they walk up this mountain, and, and Abraham has a knife in his hand, and he has the torch. What was he thinking as he was walking? You enter, and this is his son, the face of his beautiful son, the voice of his beautiful son, talking to him as he's walking up. Verse seven. And Isaac said to his father, "My father!" And he said, "Here I am, my son." He said, "Behold, the fire and the wood." But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. They're walking quietly, and can you imagine? He hears his son's little voice. Dad, I I see the, the wood and the fire. Did we forget to bring a lamb? Maybe Abraham turned his face. He couldn't even look at him. Maybe he tried to hide the tears that he wiped and tried to steady his voice so it wouldn't crack as he said, God, I'll provide a lamp. And they walk up the mountain, and then it says that he built, they got to the spot, they got to the very spot God had showed them to go to, showed Abraham to go to, and he starts building an altar. And maybe Isaac says, here, dad, let me help He says, son, just sit there, I've got to do this by myself. And he's building this, this altar before God, and he takes the wood, and maybe at this point he's fighting tears, he's trying to cry quietly, and he puts the wood on top of it, and then he takes son. And, and four words, can you imagine the impact of these four words? He bound his son, Isaac, he bound him. What did he do? Did he just look at his son and say, I've got to do this quickly? And he just grabs him. And before his son can figure out what's happening, he ties him tightly because he knows he can only do this one time. And do you think Isaac went quietly to the altar? He says, Dad, what are you doing? And he picks up his beautiful son and he goes to place him. He's wiggling around. Please, Dad, what, please don't do this. And he puts him down and amidst the screams of his son with gritted teeth, he goes and he grabs the knife and he's standing over his son. Can you imagine the emotion? This passage is calling us in. says, don't just read this and go past. This is his son that God has asked him to sacrifice, placed on the altar. It's calling us in to this passage. Verse 10. is laying on the altar. Abraham takes the knife. He's standing over his son, maybe closed eyes, and he plunges it down and an angel says audibly, Abraham, stop! And he pulls back. He says, don't lay a hand on the boy. Says, God's, God says, now I know that you will not withhand, withhold your only son. Can you imagine what happened next? Can you imagine the rush of emotions? Rips his son off the altar, maybe. Maybe he pulls off the cords. He just slumps down, holding his son, rocking him. Isaac's still shaking from from fear and he's just weeping uncontrollably. And then maybe they were there 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and then they hear a rustling behind them and they look back and there's a ram caught. He lays down his son and he sacrifices the ram. Can you imagine the emotions? The grief. The relief, can you imagine? Maybe for God, why would you make me do this? And he offers this ram, and as they go down the mountain, Abraham says, we will name this place Jehovah-Jireh. This is how you'd pronounce it in the Hebrew, Jehovah-Jireh, which means God will provide. And the narrator says, to this day, that place, it says, on the mount of the Lord, God will provide. Man, what a... What a terrible story. Why would God allow something like that? This story doesn't make any sense. God, why is he asking Abraham to do this? Why would he ask him to go through so much pain? All the questions that Abraham must have wondered. Why would you, after all this time of waiting for the son, why would you ask me to do this? There's so many weird mysteries in this story. Why is it that they're walking up and and they say, "Where, where is the sacrifice? And he says, well, there'll be a lamb and you expect when they turn around there'd be a lamb, but it's not. It's actually an adult ram. There's mysteries in this story. What about the the this place, Moriah? What is so important about this particular location? Why is this so important that God says over and over its exact spot? I'm gonna take you there. There's a mountain, there's a place on the mountain, there's a spot that I'm taking you to. What is going on with this story? Why would God do this? Well, what do we know about this land? It's called Moriah, <clears throat> it's got mountains. What do we know about this land? Well, we know it's about three days' journey away. And we know that the word Moriah shows up in one other place uh, in the Old Testament in particular. It's the place that Solomon chose to build his temple. It says, when Solomon built the temple to God, this temple finally, a fixed place of worship to God, he says he picked Mount Moriah to build this temple. He went on this mountain in the land of Moriah, and you can see the way the mountain goes up. There's this flat part at one of the most top spots, and that's where the temple is built. In fact, if you go to modern day Jerusalem, you'll see it's built up on a mountain. And one of the ancient names for the mountain that Jerusalem is built on is Mount Moriah. You can see it today. You see ancient Jerusalem. You see more modern Jerusalem. You see a valley on the sides of it. It's built on top of Mount Moriah, but there's actually something else interesting about this particular mountain. If you're in Jerusalem, there's a part to the northeast that looks like a hill, but it only looks like a hill because you're already on top of the mountain. It's actually the topmost part of Mount Moriah. It's actually the peak of Mount Moriah, but it's outside the gates And you could actually go there today and you could see what that top, that hill looks like, which is the peak of Mount Moriah. And I actually want to show you a picture. You could go to Jerusalem and see this yourself today. This is what it looks like. Now, what does it look like is on the side of that hill? It's like a face, maybe a skull. That mountain is actually called today, that hill is actually called Skull Hill. And it's the top part of Mount Moriah. So I want you to to imagine this is the mountain... Abraham sees it from afar. We know that he goes up on this mountain. This is called Mount Moriah. It's a specific place. It seems like this is the mountain he goes on. It's not hard to believe if he's seeing this mountain from afar. It's not hard to believe that he's going to go to the top part of the mountain. High places were sacred in that time period. It's not hard to believe he goes to the top of that mountain. So it's not hard to believe that he's on top of Skull Hill, but there's another name for that mountain, that hill. It's also called Gordon's Calvary. And here's what that means. That's one of the main locations that scholars believe Jesus may have actually been crucified because it looks like a skull on the side. And the name of the hill that Jesus was crucified on was Golgotha, the place of the skull. So God tells Abraham, I want you to go to this very specific place. It's in Moriah. There's a mountain. There's a place. He goes to Moriah. He goes on top. He's he's about to sacrifice Isaac, his only son, and he holds him back. And he says, don't. What's so significant about that place? It's possible that's the exact location of where Jesus was hanging on the cross as a sacrifice. Rewind with me the story of Jesus. Jesus. The week leading up to his crucifixion, he comes riding into Jerusalem. He comes riding into Moriah on a donkey. Thursday night, he's eating with his disciples, his Passover, and he looks at his companions and says, I'm going to have to leave you behind, but I will return to you. He leaves his companions behind. Jesus is put on trial. The next day, he's charged to be crucified. And what do they do? They lay the cross, the wood of his execution, on Jesus. And Jesus carries that himself up the hill. He's carrying the wood that will be stained with his blood up that hill. And he's crucified on the cross. And what is happening that same weekend while Jesus is hanging on the cross? All of the descendants of Abraham, the nation of Israel, they're offering lambs to be sacrificed at Passover time. And maybe the reason that Abraham and Isaac look back and they see a ram to be sacrificed instead of of a lamb, instead of Isaac, instead of a lamb, is because the lamb, the true lamb, had not come yet. Yet. And in 2,000 years, there would be another lamb that would be hanging on the cross. And I want you to think about what was the moment, what day did Abraham first see that mountain, that mountain that would be called Jehovah-Jireh, God will provide, it was on the third day. And the moment that Abraham saw the place at which he would be spared of sacrificing his own son, Jesus is hanging on the cross and he dies, and on the third day he rises again from the dead. See what's happening in this passage why does God take Abraham? Why does he take us through this painful story? Because God is saying to us, my son will be sacrificed. It's my son. My only son. It's the crescendo of the whole story of Abraham. Abraham is this promised child. Through your descendants, all nations, all the families will be blessed. It's through one descendant in particular. It's Jesus Christ Descended down from Abraham, who's actually God in the flesh. It's the Son of God, and he will be offered as a sacrifice for everyone. What does this mean? He's offered as a sacrifice. This is what it means. We stand before God, who made a covenant with Abraham. The covenant, if you remember, was Abraham, you be blameless, because I've got a plan to save you and save the world. And what happened with us, every single one of us, what do we deserve? Were we blameless? Each one of us, we've looked at Almighty God, the one who holds universes in his hand. They're puny to him. And before Almighty God, if we were to stand before him, Him, have we been blameless? No, we haven't even treated him like he deserves to be treated. We've acted, every one of us in our lives, blasphemously. Not treating him with worship like he deserves. No, we've lived our own ways. We've we've done our own thing. We've broken his commands and his expectations. And so what the Bible says is what each one of us deserves is the, the just wrath of an almighty, holy God. And you say, man, I don't even know if I believe in God. God would have to appear right before me. Do you know why God doesn't just appear right before us? Because if he appeared in all of his glory and all his holiness, we would wish that we were dead. We stand before God. If we were to stand before God, the ultimate punishment that you and I, every one of us would deserve is an eternity when we die as separated from God in hell. And God looked down at humanity, and he loves us so much that he said, this is the sacrifice, and I want you to understand what it was. It was my own son. It was my own son that I had to hear the pleas, God says. I heard the pleas when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he he was calling out in agony, please let this pass for me. Please don't let this happen, God. And he has blood dripping down his face like sweat droplets coming down. He's praying and pleading with God. And on the cross, he's saying, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God's saying, I had to hear those. Please, I want you to understand the sacrifice. He lived a blameless life and he died on the cross. And that death counts for you. There's no one else who could have done it because no one else is blameless. And there's no one else who's the son of God. He's God in the flesh so he can count not just for one other person but for all of us. And he dies on the cross. And on the third day he rose again from the dead. This morning can you hear a familiar verse? With all of its emotion, hear it fresh again this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Can you hear that fresh again? Because there may be someone in here and you say, you know what, I've been dabbling with religion, I've been dabbling with spirituality, I've been dabbling with Christianity, but maybe there's someone here who's saying, I need to, today today, I need to step over the line and realize what Jesus has done to save me. Do you realize the sacrifice of God? He's got it in in this vivid episode of Abraham's life where he's showing the emotions that went into the sacrifice. Maybe this morning you say, all right, it's time for me to step over that line. I've been dabbling with this whole relationship with God, but today is the day, God, I realize what you've done, the transaction on the cross, it was to save me with great sacrifice. Why you would care to make that kind of sacrifice for me, I'll never know. But maybe you just say, but I believe it. I believe he died to pay for my sins and I believe he rose again from the dead. Maybe you say, today I want to walk out of here knowing for sure that my sins are washed away, for sure that I'm going to spend eternity with God in heaven. And you just want to accept what Jesus did. Christian, maybe you're here and you're saying, today I I need to readdress the fact of how greatly God sacrificed for me. Christian, maybe you're here and you said, if I'm honest, there's part of my life I've been holding back for myself. There's there's someone that I've not been forgiving or there's something that I won't stop doing or there's a perspective that I'm rationalizing and I'm holding onto or there's just part of my life that I'm really saying, God, I'm gonna run this part of my life and I think you're gonna be okay with it. And maybe what God is saying is, please look at the sacrifice and maybe what we can say together is in light of the cross, in light of the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, in light of that, God, I surrender everything. I, I, I'm, Whoever it is that you're wanting me to forgive, whatever it is you're wanting me to do or not do, whatever part of my life I'm supposed to give to you, I give it to you. What are, what are you holding back? Because look at what God gave you. Can we, in, in the face of that, hold anything back from God? What we believe here as a church is that Jesus said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. He says, if you, if you want to be my follower, use this ancient word, mathetase, if you want to be my follower, he says, what you're going to have to do is renounce everything. In other words, you're going to have to say, God, all that I have, all that I am, all that I do, every breath, every moment of my life is yours. And in view of the sacrifice of Jesus, is there anything that you're holding back? Maybe you could surrender it today. I'd like to just take a moment where we're just real between us and God. Would you just close your eyes for a second? I want you to take a bold move today. Some of you are here and you're following after Jesus, but you know there's something you're holding back. He's bringing it to your mind right now. I want you to take a bold move, hearing about the great sacrifice of Jesus. I want you to say before God, I'm done. I give it to you. No more rationalizing, no more playing, no more continuing. It's a sin and I turn from it today. And by your help, I'll start a new path. I want you to do something bold. If that's you, this is quiet. Everyone's heads are bowed, eyes are closed. But if that's you, you say, I need to get it right with God. What I want you to do is just slip your hand up in the air and put it back down. I see it. I see it. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Anyone else you say, I- I'm following Jesus, but I know that I'm holding back. Just slip your hand up and put it back down. Some of you are here and you need to say, I need to step over the line and I need to put my faith in Jesus for the first time. It's not about being good. It's not about being religious. It's not about being spiritual. It's I realize what God did to save me. It was the great sacrifice of Jesus. His life and death count for me. Washing away my sins, I, I'm forgiven. And today I'm saying, I believe. And if that's you, I want you to take a bold step. If that's you, would you just slip your hand in the air and put it back down? You say, this morning, I believe. We'll wait. This morning, you say, that's me. I can't wait any longer. I've got to to make that commitment before God. I want to pray for those of you who raised your hand this morning. Father, we just thank you for your great sacrifice humbled by it. We're trying to grasp it, Lord. So God, I just ask that you would help those who have said to you, God, change me. I I need to give this over to you. God, would you fill their hearts? Would you change their desires? And I pray that, God, you would give them the strength to persevere. God, for those of you who who are sitting here, Lord, that are on that edge, that are wanting to make that decision, Lord, I pray that you would stir up their hearts for faith. Pray that you would call them to yourself and accept what Jesus has done and
0: believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call us at 954 432 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.